All right, welcome. Good to see everybody, and also a big shout out online to uh, those who watch us regularly, like Eileen and Graham in, in uh, New Zealand, uh, and also to our latest batch of holidaymakers, the ones who don't have kids who go when the ones who have got kids come back, uh, but who faithfully watch, except for people like Eunice and Eve and Betty and those guys, because they're on a cruise, so they're just partying. <laughs> Could say they ought to act their age, and they probably are, so bless them. So, um, last week we talked about the difference between unity and uniformity. If you remember that, that, you know, uniformity minus the I and minus the form is what creates unity. It It was a pleasure to participate in the conversation on that. This week we want to move the conversation on um, to what I think is the next stage of that, which is to talk about community, or as some have dubbed it here, community. Um, what One of my, I don't know if you call it a regret, uh, it, it certainly is a sadness, is that many years ago I had a, a guy who influenced my life quite heavily, in fact he, he served this church as it was back then for a few years and was one of my very, very favourite preachers and yet um, later on in his life, not that late, but later on in his life, um, he completely lost his faith in God. He completely went to the place where having been in ministry, being a minister preaching, being the son of a pastor, um, where he didn't even know if God existed. And uh, it was rather sad to see. My sadness is that I wish I knew then what I knew now. Because what I witnessed was that that man was actually marginalised and ostracised because he was so weak as to lose his faith and to not be able to grasp how much he should believe in God and how he should believe in God. And uh, to me it's a great sadness because I I would have loved to have sat with him now and had conversation about where he was, because uh, you see, community is made up from two words. It's the word com, which means with, and unity, which means together. It, it, it's with a togetherness that community comes. Now, now I believe that the, the glue of true lasting togetherness is not found in the uniformity of our beliefs. And that was the problem with this guy. Suddenly there was no uniformity of beliefs, so there was no com- togetherness. But you see, the real glue of true lasting community is not found in the uniformity of our beliefs, but in the humility of accepting our shared humanity. It's what the Apostle Paul said there, but for the grace of God, go I. And our journey this evening is is to explore that idea and try and help us get an understanding. Um, I have to say in my own life, on a personal level, whenever life has forced me into an encounter with my own failures, which has been... Uh, more often than I would like, but sometimes more severe than others. It's never helped me when others have perceived themselves to be in a detached position from which they can judge, rather than from a shared position in which grace can be dispensed. And the trouble when, when community is based on belief, when somebody breaks the belief, the problem is that we then tend to take a position which is detached so that we can judge the person who now no longer believes what we think they should believe. But if we came from the shared position, 
if we came from the honesty of our own humanity, then that gives us a position from which grace can be dispensed and that's where we want to be. And I believe that God enters that space fully in the form of Christ. So as we move on, uh, let me finish by saying this in the welcome. We're, we are one in our humanity when we understand that we are one in our sufferings. You know, we put on the smile, we put on the suit, we do whatever, we put on the jeans, we put on the t-shirt, the, the shorts, whatever it is that we put on that gives this outward persona. But the truth is what unites us all in this building tonight is our suffering. It's our life, it's our humanity, it's what we face, it's the relationships we have to negotiate, the thoughts that we have to wrestle with, the challenges that we have, the concepts that pervade us. That's what really brings us to a place of community if we will accept it. Life within that space screams that there is more that unites us than actually divides us. I know that some, some of you who were uh, raised in a church environment like me might think, what's the point of all that? Because our narrow perspective was that Jesus died for the sins of the world, we're sinners, Jesus died for us, and the whole point was getting to heaven and avoiding hell. Um, the death of Jesus was a part of Jesus' life, but Jesus' life was the major part of Jesus' life, not Jesus' death. Doesn't mean the death wasn't important. It doesn't mean the death didn't have some significance. And if you would care to avail yourself of the opportunity on Wednesday this week and Wednesday next week, we will give a couple of perspectives on, on why Jesus. But it's easy for us in that context to miss Jesus' life. And what his life meant to the people who his life touched and how incredibly capable he was of understanding through the story of a person who that person really was in that moment, who they could be and how that transition could be made to help that person to move from who they were in the shame of the moment or in the disappointment of the moment or the disillusionment of the moment to being somebody who knew that there was a righteousness that went beyond their unrighteousness. There was a love that went beyond their unloveliness. There was an acceptance that went beyond their own self-condemnation. And if we're not careful in the context of the ministry of what we might call the church and what we might call the gospel, people actually get lost in the box-ticking process of if you've done this, prayed this prayer, done that. But see, I've been around long enough to know that many of you love Jesus, many of you are committed, but you have issues. And, and the issue for me is not just when you're here, because some of you can't even sit here and be happy. And then you go home and you have to sleep and dream and wake up and face work on Monday and be back in that relationship where you don't know what the answer is and you don't know what the solutions are. And, and what can happen is we feel incredibly alone, but we were never meant to be alone because Jesus came also to create community. And that community was our unifying, not over the things that we believe, but unifying over the sufferings that we have so that in that, as we unify, we find the answer that Jesus brings. 
For those who have a biblical context for the word atonement, I want to read something to you. Jesus was not born on December 25th. He was born at a time when shepherds would be out with their flocks at night, which is not in December. Second, Jesus' parents came to Bethlehem to register in a Roman census in Luke 2, verse 1 through 4. Such censuses were not taken in winter, when temperatures often dropped below freezing and roads were in poor condition. Taking a census under such conditions would have been self-defeating. By taking into account this and other stated time frames, which I will not take the time to do tonight, in the period before Jesus' birth, we can almost certainly conclude that the end of September was the likely time of Jesus' birth. In 4 BC, the year Jesus was born, the date that fell in December, that we, that September, that we would know as September 29th in our calendar, that day was the Jewish feast of Yom Kippur. Now, for the Scots in us, that's not Yom Kippur, okay? It's the Jewish, Hebrew, Yom Kippur, which was the Day of Atonement. So, so here's my point to those of you who understand this. Could it be then that Jesus was born on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement? This would be interesting because the Day of Atonement was and is the most solemn Jewish feast day. Everything was focused towards the anticipation of the high priest's exit from the temple's most holy place. When he finally came forth, it was evidence that their sins had been purged away and all was made right with God. But while many worshippers massed upon the temple site, a few humble shepherds saw the true high priest after he had come out from the most holy place of Mary's womb, showing that all was made right with God." One of the Levitical priestly stipulations for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, was that the high priest would remove, remove his beautiful, glorious garments and put on the white linen garb of just a common priest. The symbolism of this is plain. The Son of God would lay aside his royal robes, leave the adoration of angels and the bliss of heaven, and clothe himself with humanity and share in the dismal lot of humankind. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, John said. Christ's birth in Bethlehem was thus the beginning of the true Yom Kippur, the true atonement, God's initial making good on his promise to redeem the race. The headlines in heaven certainly read, Son of God takes human flesh, first beachhead established in Operation Redemption. For those who have no biblical context and are not as familiar with the word of atonement, the word atonement, John the Apostle in John chapter 1 said that we see the true glory of God in the incarnation, not the crucifixion. He said the word became flesh and we saw the glory of the Father in that incarnation. What he meant was that we witnessed the greater humility and oneness with the plight of humanity, not in the death of Jesus, but in his birth. The identifying factor was the entering into shared humanity. There's a strong indication in Scripture that the compassion of God comes as a result of his shared humanity in the form and figure of Christ. Now the love of God is all that he is. The power of God shows it in other ways. But the compassion of God comes as a result of his shared humanity 
in the form and figure of Christ. Here's a couple of things the Bible says in Hebrews 2 verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers, that's you and me, in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. It says in Hebrews 2 verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 4 verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. Now, I believe we misrepresent the word atonement for two reasons. Number one, our obsession with the basically pagan principle that the gods are angry and that anger must be appeased through blood. And secondly, that the death of Jesus on the cross is the proof of the fulfilment or validation that that's what the word atonement means. However, when you break this word down into its three component parts in English, it becomes self-explanatory. At one meant. There was never a time when God was more at one with humanity than in his birth when he was human flesh on this earth. God's at one meant with you is the understanding of your story, the sharing of your suffering, the compassion with your feelings, and within all that, the ability to bring a help and a deliverance. Atonement to many in the church is what Christ's death meant. I would now differ and say that atonement is what Christ's birth meant. That as we embrace our humanity and the humanity of others, in the grace that says all things have been set right in Christ, we become community in the way that God always intended for us to be. We've got, out of, we've got out of sync a little bit, so what I'm going to do is just introduce a little bit, if that's okay, and then you can put that on in a second, because uh, I don't want to sort of just run into the next one. Um, some people really feel that you're getting into sort of humanism or humanistic thinking when you suggest that people, human beings, uh, and as a community, you can really actually have some power in the world. Because I know for me, uh, I was very much a... Uh, a kingdom come person who was always looking for this great intervention from somewhere out there to, to help me, which, yes, I believe categorically that there has been that intervention made, but I also believe that with that intervention came an incredible power of the Holy Spirit to live within each and every one of us so we can actually be Jesus in the earth. Now, some of you freak at that notion because the idea is, oh no, let's just have some prayer times in the hope that there's some secret intervention goes on from somewhere when actually it should be us who are stepping up um, uh, to do that. So, what I wanted to say before we move on to this next clip, you've just watched that uh, about how, you know, they, they understood that they could not feed themselves with those horrendously long spoons. And uh, sadly, most of us in our lives are not willing to admit that sometimes the situations we've got ourselves into is just untenable. And really, we're desperate for somebody to offer us their spoon. And we take a sip. And hasn't that, I mean, did you see how the colour of the face changed? The greyness went, the colour came back, and of course they got the idea then, and they started to help each other, and how amazing. Now, I do want to uh, push 
community tonight. I want to say that in this place, we have got some powerful people. We have got people who've really had some experiences, but they have come through victoriously, like, like, um, uh, what is the stuff that's put through the fire? What do you call it? You know, like that comes out pure, like gold that is boiled in the furnace, but comes out incredibly strengthened and beautiful and valuable. And I believe that we're here to truly uh, help one another because of those shared experiences. Now, what is also interesting is that uh, our shared humanity means that we're all in the same boat. And what I was thinking is that if we're not careful, there'll be those who'll say, yeah, the Titanic, and we're all doomed and it's going down. But you know, that's just, that's not true at all. I don't know where any of us, well, I actually do, but I'm getting there, where any of us got the idea that life was meant to be perfect. We do, we've got this idea, oh dear, it was never meant to be like this, it's not fair, you know, look at them, they're fine, me, I'm not, and you know, blah, blah, blah. And I know where it came from, it came from even there a distortion of an understanding because of, a, of religion. Because if you go back to the story of the garden, it's all that it was perfect, but guess what? Man fell. And because of that, the world is in this state. And if we hadn't have done that, everything would have been perfect. Well, I've got news for you. It wasn't created perfect. And some of you are going to flip now and go, oh, heck, they're telling us something weird again. Even if you go by the Bible story, whatever you make of that, it says that God said it was good. Good. Now, I don't know about you that good means there's room for growth. Oh, well, that also means there's room to learn. Oh, and how do we learn? We learn by mistakes. Oh, heck, that's really blown the whole thing out of the water already. But I'm not talking about that tonight. <laughs> and I might do it some other time. But really, we have this idea that life was meant to be perfect. But it wasn't. But what happens in the storms that come, in the calms and in the breezes and in the beautiful sunny days where the water is calm, there comes a help in it all if we realise that we are there as the extended body of Christ to each other. And I believe it's massively important. So uh, we're going to look at a... a oh, I've lost my page. Uh, I'm going to have another uh, look at a, a clip now. Um, but something I, I want to say that uh, we can be very guilty of is when we talked about, talk about shared humanity and Danny did a good job in saying, you know, stand up if you're this, stand up if you're bad. And we see how much we share. But then what happens, we have this great desire, don't we, for my experience to be worse than yours. So it can be, stand up if you've, lost somebody you, you loved and uh, we all stand up and we say well there you know I have yes but I lost my person through a sickness you just lost your grandma because she was 99 and she went she she died in her sleep that's not as bad are you with me so we can actually find a way of always making our experience worse and then there's never a point where we allow somebody to rescue us because we're always saying, my, my lot is worse than yours, rather than saying, do you know what? 
in it all, we have this shared experience and we can encourage each other to find the love, the care, the trust, the, 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 the comfort that we all need and be Jesus's arms, his, his hands, his feet to each other. So I want to show you this clip and then I'll talk about it a bit more. Isn't that awesome? I realise when watching that, there's a lot of you who might never even seen that film because, you know, to me, that's one of the classics, but, uh, you know, it must be 20 years, is it, since. So when you look at that fire, please don't get into your head that that's the, you know, the fires of hell that are wanting you to consume you. Let me give you a bit of a backstory on it. It's just that Andy, the owner of the toys, is going off to university his mum's been uh, telling him he has to sort all his toys out and some are going up in the loft for safekeeping and others are going uh, out uh, for trash and others are going to the Sunnyside uh, daycare centre for used toys. And of course, it all gets mixed up. And uh, what's really interesting about this is that some of the toys really struggle. And I'm glad, you know, we had that song that Danny sung, uh, sung Do You Know You Loved? You see... The toys who knew that they were loved knew that it was a mistake them ending up in the wrong place. The ones who didn't know that they were loved really thought they'd been discarded. And, and so there is this great attempt to convince the toys that Andy would not do this to us. We've just been put in the wrong place and we have to get out of the daycare centre and get back home where we belong. But of course... You've always got to introduce the, the character, the, the villain, Lotso, who, uh, for those who've done the Enneagram, uh, he's probably a four, probably who feels that, you know, that, that, that life has missed him out and he's, he's not had the love that he should have been uh, given. And of course, he rules the daycare centre uh, with a rod of iron and it's all rules, regulations. Now, I was thinking, I would rather be in the loft at Andy's house than in the daycare centre being ruled by the law, which often comes because people have not had it quite as good as they'd like it to be. So they start to impose rules and it's going to be this way and it's going to be that way. But um, of course, he feels very, very sad and it's back to the old thing. If it's good enough for me, it's good enough for them. But of course, Woody won't have it. But where I want to jump now is that, of course, Lotso gets an opportunity to be the, the saviour of the rest. But did he choose it? No. It was, it was uh, what's, the, what's the phrase? Uh, every man for himself, whereas if, there were, if it was a true musketeer, it would be all for one and one for all. He decides that he's going to save himself and he leaves the rest. But... The backstory again we have to have is that when, of course, the claw comes down, there's a backstory of that because if you remember the very first Toy Story, the aliens, the little creatures, had fallen into a game and what was it that saved them but when the claw came down and in some way they've got this idea that their saviour is, is the claw and it's their concept, I suppose, of God. And so when they find that their friends are going into this horrendous trash place, because obviously it's just the, the rubbish that's been uh, taken out, um, while one is betraying, lots of those doing the betraying, there's a few little aliens 
of finding a way to rescue the rest. Now, isn't that wonderful? And so the claw comes down, rescues them, and, uh, you know, how, how, what an amazing story. Now, we've all got Judases in our lives, and we've also got the little, little people who often we don't rate, but they're the ones who ultimately are part of the community, a part of the team who are actually doing their best on the outskirts to actually find a way to help you in your situation uh, because they themselves were rescued. Now, you see, that's the story. So it's a realisation that descends on these people that it looks as though that this is the end and they're willing to face it together. But in the facing it together, there is also something else at work bringing round uh, their way of escape. Now, I want us all as a house, and that's why we're talking about community tonight. Um, I love the picture of all the hands going across. It's not like, ah, we're all, you know, we're all going to die. What are we going to do? It's, okay, if this is where we're at, we're in this together, and we're going to hold hands, and I'll tell you what, we're going to believe for a, a, a rescue but we're in this together. Now, I want to believe that we have that heart for each other. That's what Anth was saying about the atonement at one moment. Jesus was saying to his world, to his creation, we're in this together. We're in this together. And for me, that has changed my life. I am no longer a kingdom come person, like I said before. I'm a kingdom now person. I believe the kingdom has come and it's in me and it's in you. And as we put our hands across the, the, the uh, divides, across the difficulties, we actually will find that our rescue and, and our redemption will be seen in, in an incredible way. We were in Salt Lake City, and I'll just finish by saying this, and then we're just going to sing a last song. The temple there has to be consecrated in order for God to live in it, right? But then once God comes and lives in it, nobody else is allowed in. Now, that's amazing. That just makes me laugh, that. And yet, what we have in the situation, uh, even in religion, we talk about, oh, well, you know, as human beings, you must consecrate yourself and then God will come and live in you but actually that's just a whole bunch of law it's this when Jesus gave his life he gave his life so that he could give his life into each and every one of us so they could be part of his spirit in every single one of us that we could be the continuation of his great gift of grace to the world and um I just want to say this, don't underestimate what you have within you. Are you listening to that still small voice within you that every single day has given you the ability to be the claw? <laughs> and that sounds a bit odd, but a rescuer to somebody. It might be a tea towel with Queen Bee on it. <laughs> and that's a story that I might tell you another time. It might be some hazelnut ice cream. And we think, how insignificant. No, if we will only do what we've been told in our hearts, we are the extension 
of the arms to, of God and, and the wonderful Saviour Jesus to the world. And I hope that that just resonates with you. And as we sing this last song, if you want to grab the hand of the person next to you without feeling uncomfortable and stupid, then do it, or at least do it in your heart, will you? Thank you. Just, uh, just to give Chris a couple of, couple of seconds to uh, get a voice back. Um, there's a very practical aspect to this. And um, many years ago, when I had a real job and worked for British Rail Engineering, um, there was a guy there in his, in his 30s who was life and soul of the party at work, seemed very happy. And then uh, he was missing for a couple of days and we all wondered where he'd gone. And uh, then we found out he'd gone home from work. He, had, he was, a, he was a, a machinist by trade, a fitter machinist. He drilled a hole in a block of brass the size of a 2-2 bullet. And he'd put a 2-2 bullet in the hole and figured a way to hit it with a hammer and put his head next to the brass and blew his brains out. You would have thought he was the happiest person with not a care in the world two days before. You might think, well, that's just people around. <clears throat> I had the sad news a couple of weeks ago that a young pastor in his 30s in California with three small children and a wife went home from church and committed suicide. Now, for some of you, the judgment begins to arise and say, how could he have known God, loved God, been at peace with God and gone have done that? But, but he loved God and he, he, he preached the message. But you see, in his life, there were issues. And you know what the major problem is? Nobody to lean on, nowhere to go. Now, my hyper-spirituality would say you've got to lean on God. But sometimes we need, between us and God... That somebody, that someone that we can lean on, that, that, that brother, that sister, that person who says you can lean on me just, just till we get through this, just till we process this. And so I want it to be very practical that part of community is that you can lean on somebody. Someone might need to lean on you, which means you being honest about the stuff in your life that will now help that person that makes you vulnerable, but you become the shoulder to lean on that might save that person from anything up to suicide. Or you might need to lean on somebody. And sometimes in our own fears, in our own self-devaluing, we think, who cares about me? Who wants to listen to my story? Who's interested in me? Listen, that, that's a lie that runs through our lives and there is God yet ultimately to help us but the, also the issue of community is here's my shoulder you can lean on me I want to pray grace on your father let grace be over this house today that no one who is going through an issue that they think is unresolvable that they cannot be helped and cannot be fixed will stand alone and be alone but will lean on not only you, but those whose lives you have touched who also have a story that say, I was there, but God. This happened to me, but God. I pray for every heart and life today that you'll free us from the pains of our own fears that make us so absorbed with our humanity that we fail to see that you shared in our humanity so that you could give us a way through our humanity so that heaven and earth could become one. Touch many lives tonight, I pray, Father, by your grace in some wonderful way in Jesus' name. Amen.